So today we are continuing our journey through Matthew's Gospel, which is, is Matthew's account of Jesus' life and ministry. Uh, from the announcement of his birth in chapter 1 all the way through to uh, his resurrection from the dead in chapter 28. And this morning we've reached the beginning of chapter 12. And we're going to focus just on the part, the first part of this chapter. The chapter's quite long, but the verses that Louise has just read is going to be our focus. And it's another, it's another passage where the focus is almost entirely on Jesus and what he says. And remember, in this section of the book, Jesus, what's he doing? He's traveling with his disciples from town to town, from village to village. He's teaching in the synagogues. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And he's healing every disease and illness. And as we know, there are crowds of people following them. And when Jesus sees the crowd, he's not, he's not put off by the crowd. He's not frustrated by them. Rather, he has compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And that's just like many of the people that we see around today in, in Portswood, in the city centre, or in the places where we work or study or live, Jesus sees those people too. Jesus has compassion on those people too, the people that we see who are harassed, the people that we see who are helpless. And perhaps we feel harassed and helpless too, uh, sometimes ourselves, in need of a reminder that Jesus is our shepherd and that he's rescued us from death, from spiritual death. And he's promised to be our strength and our help all the days of our lives and never to leave us. And as he's going around doing these things, Jesus, what he's also doing is he's preparing his disciples to do the work that he's been doing. So he warns them about the opposition that they're going to face He says he's sending them out like sheep among wolves. And they're going to be handed over to the authorities, to local councils. They're going to be flogged in the synagogues. They're going to have to go before governors and kings. They'll be arrested. And Jesus says to them, don't be afraid. You don't need to worry about what's going to happen And for his disciples, for Peter and Andrew, for James and John and the others, Thaddeus, Bartholomew, all the ones that we forget to mention, this is is all in the future when Jesus is saying this to them. But they're going to be treated in the same way that Jesus is treated. And because Jesus knows that, he tells them really clearly that a student is not above their teacher, a servant is not above the master, and when we think about how Jesus was treated, we shouldn't think that it's going to be any, any easier for us or any uh, less difficult. It's not going to be better for us than it was for them if we want to follow Jesus, if we want to follow his teaching, follow his instructions, follow his way of life, follow his example. So following Jesus, it's not easy. It wasn't easy for the first disciples. It's not easy for us today. But 
The kingdom that Jesus spoke about is real. It's a real kingdom. And as Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And that remains true today. So how does Jesus encourage his disciples then and now? He says to them, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the Father who sent me. So it's clear from that that they have an important role to play. People who welcome them, it's like they're welcoming Jesus, they're welcoming God. And for us as well, in our particular context or situation, we've got an important role to play if we're willing to do the things that Jesus wants us to do. But opposition and conflict are part of the deal. And that's what we see going on here in the passage that we're looking at this morning. So by now, Jesus is preaching and teaching in the towns around Galilee, that region that's up in the north, near to the Sea of Galilee, where where the fishermen who were his disciples came from. And uh, he mentions towns at the end of chapter 11, towns like Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. Towns where there had been plenty of miracles, uh, if you remember. Matthew writes about that in chapters 8 and 9. But places where many people hadn't really responded to Jesus. They hadn't really responded to what Jesus was saying. There were places where there wasn't repentance, there wasn't kind of a change of heart or a change of direction. So in spite of the miracles that people had seen, they remained kind of resistant to what Jesus was saying. But did that stop Jesus? No. Jesus keeps on giving the invitation, end of chapter 11, an invitation to those who needed what he had to offer. So chapter 11 ends with these words that we're familiar with. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this offer of rest, it sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds good to us today, especially if we're feeling burdened or weary. And circumstances, life circumstances can make us feel like that. But at the time of Jesus and his disciples, it's religious practices that have become this burden. And the religious rules that have been added to the law that God gave to his people through Moses many, many centuries before. And it becomes clear in these verses uh, from Matthew 12. So a few months ago, I, was, uh, I went for a walk in the New Forest with Alison and James, a couple of friends who were over from France went with us. And I think it's either a Saturday afternoon or it's a Sunday afternoon, lovely day. And as we're walking... Um, there are blackberries along the way, so we're picking blackberries, we're eating blackberries. And I imagine, if you put your hand up, if you've ever done anything similar to that. Yeah, I thought that would be the response. And uh, does anyone imagine or think that their 
could be something wrong about doing that. Put your hand up if you think that that might be illegal to do that. No. Okay, so nothing wrong with going walking in the forest, picking blackberries on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon. So what would we think if someone came up to us as we're walking and eating blackberries and say, you can't do that, it's against the law? We'd be shocked, wouldn't we? We'd be, we'd be taken aback, be a bit worried perhaps. We wouldn't want to get into an argument over it. Most of us avoid conflict. But you can see the parallel. Jesus, Matthew tells us that when Jesus and his disciples were walking through the fields one Sabbath and they were hungry and the disciples start, started to pick some grain uh, to eat, there were Pharisees there who took issue with what was happening and they spoke to Jesus about it. Look, they said, look, your disciples, what, what are they doing? They're eating, they're picking corn, they're eating on a Sabbath. And we can't, really, we can't really tell from what Matthew writes whether they were having a quiet word with Jesus or whether they were making a big deal of it right from the word go. But we know that by the end of this encounter, by verse 14, things have escalated to a very high level of disagreement and conflict. So this is all about how Jesus handles conflict we're almost halfway through um, this book that Matthew wrote all about Jesus. And this is the first time that we have the word Sabbath mentioned. Chapter 12, first time we get Sabbath mentioned. In fact, in the whole of Matthew's Gospel, the word Sabbath comes up ten times. And eight of those ten times are in the passage that we're looking at this morning. Just 14 verses. A little while ago, we were doing a series on Sunday mornings about looking at how we can live our lives in a kind of a slower, simpler way and recognizing that modern life can be very busy and stressful and reflecting on the way that Jesus lived his life and what we can learn from him. And during that series, we we spent time thinking about Sabbath and what it means. And I'm not planning on repeating that talk here this morning, but The important thing to remember, as I'm sure we're aware, is that the Sabbath, it was a special day. It was a day of rest, and Jesus has been talking about rest. It was the seventh day. It was a day that God set apart from the other days of the week. So the fact that we have this concentration of the word Sabbath in this passage helps us to know that it's it's central to the conflict that's going on here between Jesus and the Pharisees. We've had 11 chapters, Sabbath hasn't been mentioned at all, and here at the start of chapter 12, it's suddenly a big issue, or at least in the minds of the Pharisees. So let's just think about the Pharisees. The Pharisees, even though Sabbath hasn't been mentioned, the Pharisees have been mentioned already a few times by Matthew. Back in chapter 3, where we have John the Baptist, he calls them a brood of vipers. Not very, not very kind, perhaps, but he obviously meant something by that. Then in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 of Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says that unless our righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, we're not going to be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
That's food for thought. And then back in chapter 9, we have the Pharisees challenging, this time, Jesus' disciples about what Jesus is doing. So Jesus is eating with tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees go to the disciples and, and ask them, why, why is Jesus doing this? And this time, in chapter 12, it's Jesus that they're going to, to say that the disciples are doing something that they shouldn't be doing. So it's kind of swapped around. But the big question is, you know, how is Jesus going to react in the situation? What is he going to say? How is he going to respond to their criticism? How is he going to handle this? And probably some of us have been in situations where someone in authority has challenged us. Perhaps there are some among us who have done things that are unlawful. Recently, we were having our staff team meeting and we were confessing of times when we had stolen things as children. And um, I'm not going to divulge the details now, but uh, suffice to say that we all had a story to tell. But here, Matthew tells us that Jesus does what he often does when he's challenged, and that is he asks a question. And it's a helpful way of dealing with conflict. In some situations, asking a question can give pause for thought, can help to just diffuse a little bit the tension, and is probably better than direct confrontation. Jesus could have simply told them, you are wrong. He could have told them what they thought was untrue. Is it really unlawful to pick grain and eat it on a Sabbath? No, it isn't. Where does does it say that in the law? The Pharisees, in fact, were going beyond what the law actually said. They've added things to the law, extra rules for people to follow. And it's their own interpretation of what Moses had said about the Sabbath, what God had given to Moses about the Sabbath. And it is an easy thing to do. If we think about it, it's easy to just kind of add a bit of our own interpretation to what we read in the Bible. Perhaps out of concern that, that you know, we stay on the right side of the law and we come up with applications of the law that are perhaps a bit stricter than they need to be. I'm sure we can think of some examples of that. Yesterday I flew back from, from France. Actually, I flew from an airport in Germany just over the border uh, back to Stansted. And it's a flight or a route that I've done quite a few times over the last 20 years. And there are rules, aren't there, about what you can take on board a plane. So obviously you can't take a weapon, a knife or anything like that, although I think once I might have forgotten to take a knife out of my bag and they found it. But weapons, certainly not allowed. What about liquids? If you've flown, you know there's issues about how much liquid you can take. You can only take a very small quantity of shampoo or <clears throat> a drink or whatever it might be. But what counts as a liquid is really open to interpretation. And I know some people have been caught out trying to take a jar of Marmite on a plane before. Marmite, is it a liquid? Is it a solid? But once, uh, a few years ago, I was travelling with a pot of something called rillette, and it's like a meat paste, something that's quite solid. At least I thought it was quite solid, but the security people told me I couldn't bring it because it was a liquid. Meat paste was a liquid. 
But I'd learned from the experience with the jar of Marmite that my friends had had, and I'd taken some bread with me. I thought, if they stop me and say, I can't have this thing, I'm going to make some sandwiches. And it was a, a baguette. <laughs> so that's what I did. I left, the, I left the queue, went, put the, the meat paste on the sandwich, and I thought, right, this time that we go through. But of course, they'd seen what I'd done. <laughs> and they said, no. Either you throw your sandwiches in the bin or you eat them before going through security. So what did I do? I, I started to eat the sandwiches, clearly showing them that there was nothing dangerous about the meat paste in the sandwiches. And I probably ate half the sandwich and thought, that's going to be enough. They're going to let me through now, but no. I can't remember if I actually ate all the sandwiches before I went through security or not. But anyway, it's an example, an example of like a law being interpreted in a particular way and going, I would say, over over the top. Um, but since then, I've never taken anything even remotely resembling a liquid because I know they just don't. Yeah, they just don't let you. But back to Matthew 12, and so Jesus' response to this situation, what do we make of Jesus' question? Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? It's a question, isn't it? Haven't you read? And of course, they had read. A few weeks ago, Louise was telling us that Pharisees were people who hadn't only read the whole of the of their Bible, the Old Testament, but they'd memorized it. So, of course, they knew. They, they knew it back to front, but that didn't mean that they had it all right or that they knew everything, just like us today. Jesus knew that they had read about David. They knew what he'd done. And he used it as an example they would be really familiar with to make his point. So, given that he says haven't you read? I think we should probably read the passage in question. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 21, so if you'd like to turn to it, I think it is worth it, just so that we can say, yeah, we've definitely read it too. I should have looked up the page number, but if someone gets to 1 Samuel 21, you can shout out the page number. 293. 293 in the church Bibles. So this is the first six verses of 1 Samuel, chapter 21. So David went to Nob to Ahimelech, the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? And there's a whole backstory to this, which we can read at home. David answered Ahimelech, the priest. The king sent me on a mission and said to me, No one is to know anything about the mission I am sending you on. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what have you to hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread to hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, Indeed, women have been kept from us, as usual, whenever I set out. The men's bodies are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? 
So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. So that's, that's what's going on. That's the story that Jesus is referring to. And if you want just a little bit more detail, Leviticus chapter 24. That's worth turning to. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus chapter 24. Um, and verses 5 to 9. It's on page 127. If you want to turn to it. So Leviticus chapter 24, verse 5. Take the finest flour and bake 12 loaves of bread using one-fifth of an ephah for each loaf. Arrange them in two piles, six in each pile, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. By each pile, put some pure incense as a memorial portion to represent the bread and to be a food offering presented to the Lord. This bread is to be set out before the Lord regularly, Sabbath after Sabbath, on behalf of the Israelites as a lasting covenant. It belongs to Aaron and his sons, who are to eat it in the sanctuary area, because it is a a most holy part of their perpetual share of the food offerings presented to the Lord. Okay, so that's where we get the idea that it it was for Aaron and his sons. They were the priests which is why uh, Jesus says that David ate the bread that was um, supposed to be eaten by the priests. But but it's a good example, isn't it? It's a good example to show that actually it's okay to eat things on the Sabbath, even if there seems to be a law that, that suggests otherwise. You just need to read carefully. You just need to think about it a little bit, don't you? But then Jesus follows up with almost exactly the same question, going back to Matthew chapter 12. Or haven't you read, verse 5, or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? So the law about the Sabbath is all about working on the Sabbath. You're not meant to work on the Sabbath. The Pharisees think that Jesus' disciples are somehow harvesting (laughs) But they're not. They're just. They're allowed to get a little bit of grain to eat because they're on their way. Well, we'll see. They're on their way to the synagogue and they're hungry, so it's fine. It's not a problem. And the priests, every Sabbath, when they're performing their duties, they're working. But that's not unlawful. They're allowed to do it. The scope for interpretation. But six times in Matthew's gospel. Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees. They've got some problem. And he says, haven't you read? Haven't you read the scriptures? He knows that they have, but they haven't understood what they've read. And it reminds me of when Jesus was facing uh, the temptations from Satan. Three temptations. And three times he says, it is written. It is written. It is written. It's back in chapter 4 of Matthew's Gospel. And Jesus even quotes another verse from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy, where it says, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the Pharisees would have agreed with Jesus. 
just like we agree with Jesus. But they still got things wrong. They still interpreted things wrong. They had the wrong understanding. And that should make us extra careful not to fall into the same trap. Jesus, in the midst of this conflict in verse 7, is trying to help them. He says, look, this is the problem and this is the solution. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. So the problem that they have with the disciples eating the grain is condemning the innocent. But it's, not, it's not the only time the Pharisees are condemning the innocent. It's what they're doing all the time is the sense that we get. So that's their problem. They're condemning people who are innocent. And Jesus says, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, then you would avoid this problem. And again, this is a quote of a verse from the Old Testament. It's Hosea 6, verse 6, which, again, I think it's worth just turning to it to read. So if someone can find Hosea 6, verse 6, and what page it's on. It's one of those little minor prophets at the end of the Old Testament. Which page? 905, brilliant. Let's help us. <coughs> Because Jesus is just quoting half the verse, and it's worth reading the whole verse. So page 905, Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, says this. And it's God speaking. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. So the Pharisees were really focused on sacrifices, burnt offerings in the temple. That was their, their thing that they thought was really, really important. But Jesus is saying, no. God desires mercy above sacrifice. Sacrifice is easy to do. Just take your animal. It might cost you something. Take your animal to the temple and burn it. Showing mercy. And that word for mercy is... <clears throat> It's loving kindness. It's God's love for his people. It's this chesed love that we find everywhere in the Bible. It's loving kindness that continues. It's goodness and faithfulness. And Jesus is saying, that's what I want. Not sacrifice. So he's really trying to help them out so that they don't fall into this trap of condemning people who just don't need to be condemned. And did I say it's not the first time Jesus has quoted this verse? In chapter 9 of Matthew's Gospel, the first time the Pharisees challenge the disciples, saying, why is Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus' response, so Matthew chapter 9, so flipping around, but it's important. Matthew chapter 9, verse 11, this is a question. When the Pharisees saw Jesus, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And then verse 13, Jesus says to them, go and learn what this means. 
I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So they should have done it, shouldn't they? They should have gone and looked and thought about that verse. But Jesus, in the patient way that he deals with all of us, is continuing to try and explain where they're going wrong. Okay, I'm going to wrap up. There's more that we could say about these verses, but if you've been here the last two Sundays, you'll have heard Louise refer to a couple of TV series, so Secret Boss and Married at First Sight. I've not seen either of those programs, but when I was preparing for today, it made me think of um, a TV series called You Are What You Eat, which, again, I don't think I've ever seen... But um, it was on telly first time back in about 20 years ago, 2004 to 2006. But now it's back on TV. It was on Channel 4 back then. It's on Channel 5 now. You are what you eat. And basically, it's a program where they put on a table everything that you eat in a week, and it's supposed to reveal where you've got some dietary problems. But remember, Jesus said... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And here, to correct the Pharisees, what does Jesus do? He goes back to what is written in the Bible. And I think that's the challenge for us, because we face all sorts of issues today where we'll be helped greatly if we know what is written, if we've read what is written. We can help one another to do this as well by encouraging each other to keep on reading or listening to the Word of God. There's so many ways we can do it, but we've memorizing things. As Jesus clearly had memorized the Scriptures, it's, it's good for us. It will keep us from falling into traps. We are what we eat. If we don't eat on the Word of God then there are things that we will miss easily. We know that this incident finishes with Jesus healing a man. And I was trying to picture what that would look like, uh, Jesus in the synagogue, this man with a shriveled, one shriveled hand, and Jesus says, stretch it out. So he's got one hand perfectly good. Stretch out his shriveled hand, and it's as good as the other hand. And to see that would be absolutely amazing. Perhaps some people have seen that kind of miracle. But it would have, been, would have been frightening as well, I think, to see that happen, to see someone's hand or arm just restored. But it is so clear that everything that Jesus has been saying before to the Pharisees, this is kind of Jesus saying, I know what I'm talking about. Believe in me. Trust me. I know what I'm doing. But the Pharisees, sadly, go away and plot how they can kill Jesus. That's how badly they got it wrong. And we don't want to fall into, into any kind of trap like that. So I guess that's the, that's the thing I want us to take away from this morning is let's, let's keep listening, reading, learning together from God's word. It's one of our core values here And I know we do it, but let's just keep on doing that and helping each other to do that. Whether that's when you meet up with someone, when you have a small group, 
when we're here on a Sunday morning just paying attention to what God wants to say to us. And God might want to say different things to different ones of us on on a Sunday morning or in a small group. That's fine as well. But being able to discuss it, talk about it, it really is essential. It's what Jesus did, and we want to follow Jesus. So let's pray, and then the musicians will come up again. Lord, we thank you for, for everything that you've given us, Lord, for this, um, this book, the Bible that we have, Lord, for your words that are like bread to us, like food that we can, that we can eat and be nourished by and that sustain us, Lord, that help us. So we want to just ask you, Lord Jesus, to keep speaking to us by your Spirit. Uh, Lord, help us to continue to learn, Lord, however long we've been a follower of you, however old we are, whatever our circumstances, Lord, just please help us this week and in the weeks ahead to, to be really attentive to your words, Lord, to receive from you the things that you want to share with us and teach us. Lord, thank you for, for your living word. And thank you for your, your spirit who brings it, brings it to life for us. Lord, we're so, we're so grateful that we have the Bible that we can read the Bible, that we can hear your word. So we give, we give you the praise, Lord, for that. We give you the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.